anything to say or have ideas for the show, tweet at songdancepod or email songdancepod at gmail.com. Let us know how we are doing. It's the Song and Dance Podcast. Welcome to the Song Dance Podcast. Um, we have a special guest, or just guests. We have the uh, hosts of the Yo What Podcast. We have uh, Ben and Mike. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Howdy. So, uh, Ben, Mike, so what made you want to do the podcast? Um, I guess I can start with that one. Uh, so uh, I had been, uh, uh, this is Mike, by the way. Uh, I had been uh, following the contest since about 2010 and uh, started blogging about it uh, for a television website of uh, starting with the 2011 contest. And uh, yeah, I was doing that for a couple of years and decided to launch my own uh, website. And that's when Ben uh, joined in and we were reviewing the uh, various entries uh, starting with the 2014 contest and just kind of trading back and forth. Uh, we had a third partner join us, uh, I think for the 2015 Yeah, for, for our first season, I guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, there were, there were three, of, three of us going, uh, writing back and forth and trying to be conversational in our writing about all the different entries and kind of rotating who's writing about what. Um, and we did that for a couple of years and then realized, you know, it's a lot easier to have a conversation like by talking instead of by writing. <laughs> and uh, it seemed like podcasting was also going to be a little bit less time consuming than the writing process. Um, I'm not sure how the math has worked out on that one, but uh, yeah, we uh, decided to, for the 2018 contest uh, to do it as a podcast rather than as a blog. And uh, yeah, it, it's worked out much better for us, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm enjoying it more than the, than the writing aspect. I don't know about you, Ben. I don't as much as I love writing the same five blog post templates, I much enjoy talking about things more. And like just doing this has given us a chance to do, to dive into way more of Eurovision than just the current year's entries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I guess so my start with, with Eurovision is roughly around the same time as Mike was uh, just made like, I had caught like the very tail end of like the 2008 contest when they're doing all the accounting and somehow stuck around and thought that that was interesting. Uh, in 2009, I caught the full final for the first time, loved it. I was like, this is a cool thing that I should check out every May. Uh, and then 2010, 2011 just would, would roll in for the finals, started to maybe watch the semifinals. Uh, as Mike says around, you know, I was doing like some of my own blogging, but nothing super serious. Would be talking about it on Twitter, which is how Mike and I got into the same general area was just like oh hey look another american tweeting about eurovision in may this is fun i like this mm-hmm. uh so yeah by by 2014 we were we were both writing for the same site and sort of covering covering the contest covering the semifinals that was when i started paying attention to the the actual national finals uh and then you just slowly you know slowly and surely just started getting super into this and now uh you know in 2018 we started the podcast uh, and it was, again, it was a fun way to keep thinking about the contest and find a new outlet for this. It's a, it's much more fun to just talk with people yeah. about yeah. it. And then with, and then, you know, once the contest ended in 2018, it was like, well, do we just go on hiatus or do we figure out other cool things to talk about? And we just decided to keep going into what don't we know about Eurovision? How can we plug this into other pop cultural things how can we use Eurovision as a lens to view other stories nice nice 
So, uh, Mike, you said your first contest was like the 2010 one? Yes. Right? Uh, how do you, did you uh, discover Eurovision? Uh, so I was uh, finishing up a grad program at Syracuse in television, radio, and film. And um, I wasn't procrastinating. I was just checking my blogs like I do every day. <laughs> and uh, there was one blog uh, post that uh, was a, it wasn't really a review. It was just more uh, the, the writer had watched the documentary Sounds Like Teen Spirit, uh, which is about the junior Eurovision song contest. And, uh, yeah, he just did a post uh, about Ukraine's entry uh, for that because uh, that that was uh, this was oh I want to say it was the 2007 contest that was the subject of, of the documentary yeah, and yep. uh, yeah uh, Ukraine's 2007 performance was a lot of fun and uh, was watching the video I was like oh yeah this is this is pretty neat and YouTube was just like would you like to watch another Ukraine Eurovision video and it's like yes yes I would and that was uh, the video for Shady Lady uh, which is still very close to my heart <laughs> and Good one. yeah and uh yeah just kind of ended up in sort of a youtube rabbit hole that evening and was just like oh i should keep looking into this and this would have been oh like late march uh early april uh when i first landed on this so uh yeah there it would have been like right at the height of uh Eurovision preparation for the 2010 contest. So it's like, oh, okay, there's just a lot of information and this is something that's happening right now. So I was able to uh, kind of catch up with uh, what was happening with the 2010 contest. And then, uh, yeah, the fact that it was uh, available for streaming uh, through the Eurovision website, it was like, oh, I can actually watch this thing. That'll be fun. And yeah, it was just fun to watch the semifinals and the finals. Like, oh, this is this is really neat. So yeah, that uh, just kind of, happenstance i guess that i and i was sort of vaguely aware of eurovision i, I recall uh yahoo news i think this was after uh the 2007 contest uh when uh serbia won and yahoo news had a story about like oh serbia won an international music competition and i was like oh good for serbia <laughs> and like i think it just kind of lodged in the back of my brain and i finally made that connection uh, a few years later so <laughs> and uh same question to you ben Sure. Yeah. So uh, as Mike has learned, I have a deep abiding love of terrible movies, <laughs> uh, specifically one terrible movie, uh, The Apple, which came out in 1980, a great year for disco musicals. Um, and the, the, pr the whole bit of The Apple is set largely at the, the World Vision Song Contest in 1994, where disco somehow has not died. Uh, and it is, and like at, at the time I was just like looking at the Wikipedia, learning some more about this movie, and it was like, oh, yeah, the World Vision Song Contest is very clearly a take on the Eurovision Song Contest. It was like, what's that? I, I enjoy this fictional, this fictional movie version of this. What does the actual thing look like? It happened to be May of 2008 when I was doing this. So, again, it was t just enough time to download the OctoShape plugin off of the Eurovision.tv website and, again, catch the scores of 2008's final. And, nice. again, here I am today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, Mike, you said your favorite uh, your favorite songs like uh, "Shady Lady," right? I I wouldn't say it's my favorite. I I uh, yeah, I don't really view like the the question comes up all the time. It's like, what what are your favorite entry? What yeah. what are your favorite songs? And it's just like, well, I don't really engage with the songs that way, just because uh, like each, each contest is its own thing, and 
there are just so many, uh, I don't know, stories that can be attached to songs or they, they, the different songs have different meanings at different times. And uh, like there are good songs that are terrible entries. There are uh, great entries that are not so great songs. And um, yeah, I mean like Shady Lady, I, I, I appreciate because like it is a very well thought out production. The song is still a banger. Uh, so like it, ha- it has a lot still going for it, um, but uh, yeah, like I went to the 2017 contest as part of my honeymoon. So I think I have an affection for a lot of the 2017 entries in a way that like, I don't, I don't think 2017 is really regarded as a strong Eurovision year. And, no. um, but uh, yeah, like, but there's just like a lot of personal meaning to a lot of what was going on at that contest. So, <laughs> and uh, Ben, you haven't said a song yet. So same question. Um, well, well, and yeah, I think it's it's very much the same thing as Mike. Is that every Eurovision is is its own thing, and I think the reason that we like the songs we like, whether it's Eurovision or whether it's pop music or whether it's whatever, is because of the memories that's attached to them. So the reason I like songs is because they have very specific meanings attached to them. Yeah. Uh, that said, I am just uh, a huge fan of Iceland in general. Like a lot of my favorites are just Iceland. Like the first. The first entry I covered when we were doing this whole blogging thing in 2014 was Paula Punk's No Prejudice, <laughs> which is still, which like just watching that semifinal and have it, seeing, seeing uh, Iceland have a clear choice between a sort of very standard Eurovision thing that wasn't going to do it for them or Paula Punk, which was just a complete left field step for them, but it was interesting, dang it. And to see that, that, tr- that triumph and then the more that I get into Icelandic music, both inside and outside of the contest, the more I fall in love with it. Yeah. It, it, it's a very rich artistic scene. There's a lot of different things going on. Uh, one of the shows we did last year during the off season is I went to Iceland Airwaves, partially because it was a chance to see Hatari as an American. <laughs> uh, and partially because I had been looking at the art, the, the lineup of artists at Iceland Airwaves and getting really interested by all of the different types of music that are happening there. If you could change anything, like how they present the final or like they present the semifinal, uh, what would you change, if anything? Um, I mean, I, I have an answer. Ben, do you, do you have an answer? Or I, uh... um, I'm not sure I have an answer. And I feel like any time that I get asked questions as an American, what I think Eurovision should do, my <laughs> brain just shuts down because that is my strong belief is that we should not have no part of this. I enjoy this because we are not a direct part of it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, like for me, I would, the rule change that I would propose is that you can keep the big five, but whichever of the big five finishes lowest on the scoreboard has to compete in the semifinals the following year. So oh, I like that a lot. You're just pressing the UK. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, Spain, uh, Spain has struggled. <laughs> uh, France. Yeah, I mean, France, even Germany has uh, had... It's anyone's like, game. Luck. Yeah, and I mean, like, Italy is the only one who is safe in that. Italy uh, is fine, proposal. they're doing great. But, yeah, um, it, it, and I think it would be, I think it would give, it would have those countries have some skin in the game. Um, and it would be interesting to see, like, if 
if they if some of these entries would be able to qualify on their own merits in a given year. Um, I don't expect this to ever happen, <laughs> but uh, I, I, th I think it would be an exciting experiment, uh, particularly because like the whole big five thing, like it's been 20 years since that distinctions happened. And I don't, I don't know if it's still necessary. It, it, well, you can uh, blame Germany for that one. Um, I, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, obviously we're Americans and the American song contest is coming up next year. Um, so big question, how can we mess it up? Oh, uh, oh okay. I thought that you were going to ask correctly, which I was going to say, cancel it now. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you listen to our most recent episode, no, uh, yeah, yeah there's, we had thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there are several ways that it could get, uh, messed up. Um, like I mean, I'm, I'm I just thinking about like, particularly the way that, uh, X factor, they attempted to import that and it just became such a watered down version that just did not have the courage of its convictions mm -hmm. um in its execution that uh yeah i, 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 I think I the biggest range, way but... and i think the most likely way we are going to mess this up is that we're going to treat it like every other piece of music competition television currently on air we're going to mm -hmm. treat it like the voice or like an america's got talent or or an american idol where it's all about the story and it's not about the song yeah yeah, me and my host, um, Rachel, we said the same thing on our on our last episode. So how do you think that we're going to make the, the semifinals work? Since there's no big five and like 25 uh, states to a uh, semifinal is like a lot. Oh, yeah. I mean, like uh, from the press release, they were saying that they were uh, expecting to do either five or ten, like, qualifying heats or something and so it sounds a lot more like sweden's uh, melody festival and in, in, in its setup which i think makes a little bit more sense uh it, it would uh address the time zone problem in uh most cases i think and i i think it would allow for there to be some form of regionalism, which you kind of have at Eurovision, because I mean, like you have like the Baltic countries, Eastern Europe, Southern Europe, and, and like all of these blocks where it's like, okay, like friends voting for friends, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, like the, the, the format aspect is worrying. There's the whole project is worrying. <laughs> yeah, the whole project is worrying. Uh, I would, I'm hoping that when they do nail down how many semifinals are going to be because it, like for as much as that press release gave us a lot of things are still up in the air a lot of things had not been fully thought through because we're still developing this i'm hoping that they keep it a little bit closer to five and a little bit further from ten because that's a lot of semifinals yeah like just like nightmare scenario is again like just like the voice model but like we get one episode for each state that's participating and then around christmas we get a final we get the finals and yay we we picked someone yeah, but if there's only like two million people that watch the first episode, then we're never going like, to get the finals. Yeah, and ugh, yeah, it's it's going to be Taskmaster all over again. Yeah, like <laughs> so. that is that is that is what worries me is that we are expecting this to do number. We're probably going to expect this to do numbers out of the gate. Otherwise, we're never going to do it again. Mm -hmm. And Eurovision didn't happen that way. Eurovision, you know, started as as a bunch of nations saying, hey, we should do this, and only seven of them saying, yes, we are going to do this, ultimately, out of, like, something like 14 to 20. So, like, it's... Mm -hmm. Like, I would almost rather 
hey, who wants to participate and whoever shows up, that's who participates so that we build, you know, over like the course of like three years to see if people want to do this and want to participate and join and have more more states over time. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, I guess. Like uh, I have, I have no idea. So, oh yeah, and like if Minnesota doesn't do it the first year and is mad because you know is mad, is sees who wins and gets mad about, it, then they can join year two. Yeah, although like I'm also curious, like which states are going to be like the Slovakia of, <laughs> of the contest? Just who be like, is our, no, who is the nation in San Marino, yeah. and yeah. why is it Delaware yeah. <laughs> or Rhode Island? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that was my uh, American Song Contest questions. Now, uh, back to Eurovision. Songs that have been dropped in the semifinals. Oh, um, I mean, we did an episode uh, around New Year's where we uh, went back through the last 10 years of, uh, of the contest, uh, like e- each picking one uh, for each year uh, that still holds up, even though it didn't make it to the finals. Uh, one, one that I... I'm particularly fond of is uh, Slovenia's 2016 entry, uh, Blue and Red by uh, Manuela. And yeah, like that is a solidly built country pop song that I I don't remember which, like offhand, which semifinal it was in, but I, I think it was in a particularly tough semifinal and it was just a good song, just not the right year for that particular entry. And yeah, I think, I think it still holds up remarkably well. Yeah. And like, just thinking back on that episode, Mike, uh, I think as I have watched more and more of the competition, I've gained more and more of an affinity for the way that it blends whatever is going on in pop music with whatever local folk music trends there are. So like Mm -hmm. the, the, some of the more folky entries are, are in hindsight ones that I go back to and Finland, I want to say in, 2009 2010 i forget what it is and like looking at the band name right now i'm just like well i can't pronounce that uh but it was a duo that was accompanying themselves on accordion just like yeah 2010 yeah okay 2010 and it is just it's like it's an absolute clap along song and like it just has a nice build to it and just feels like a classic folk song that's just kind of always been there somehow i'm so surprised that uh, that entry didn't make it to the final. I think it was, it was close. I think like, it, it was. It, it's always things that were just off by like a few points. Yeah, it was like a fan favorite, if I remember right. Well, it was like a decade ago, so I, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> How about uh, in the final? Who was Rob Vova winning? Hmm. I don't know. Like it's been it's been a few years since we've had like a weirdly close contest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like 2016, uh, I, I don't know why I keep going back to 2016, but like th- there was just so many elements to that contest. But um, yeah, 2015, yeah, 2015 was pretty straightforward. Um, I don't know. I like imagining the alternate universe where uh, Calm Before the Storm won over Rise Like a Phoenix because those two mm-hmm. were closer than you would expect. Yeah. And like, yeah. I, I think that ultimately. Calm After the Storm has been wildly influential over the, the years of the contest that followed. Like, I think, I, I think you can, yeah. like, I would argue that you can draw a line from Calm, Calm After the Storm uh, coming in second to Sweden winning with Heroes, because there's a lot of, like, you can, you can kind of trace a line of, like, oh, country-ish things. Mm-hmm. How can you play with that? Yeah. 
I I uh, listened to your uh, one of your uh, episodes about 2007. So, can anything top uh, Scoot? <laughs> um, then you can take um, this in, one. In terms of what? In terms of yeah. In terms of bad ideas, I'm not sure. See, that's where the uh, we uh, disagree because I think Scoot was a perfect entry for the the UK. I mean, it's. Scooch is a very UK entry and that's clearly riffing on on UK sitcoms. Like it felt like the song feels very Are You Being Served? Which if yeah. you've seen that on like your local PBS affiliate, like yeah. it is it's like a very 70s type of humor that like is great and it's very tongue in cheek and it's aged terribly, which is why it's hilarious again now. But like as a Eurovision entry, I'm not like that is going to appeal to Ireland and maybe Malta who just love the Brits, but like, it's like, that is not a, that's not a Europe wide sense of humor. (laughs) And like falling back on the strategy of just dropping a bunch of countries names in the lyrics of the song, (laughs) uh, doesn't do well either. Like that, like, like I'm just thinking of other entries that have tried that. Like when the Dutch sent, uh, Shyla Lee and like the lyrics of that song are just, let's go to various places in Dutch. Um, Uh, Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So just like two non-winning strategies do not form a good entry. Uh, I know. For me, on the like, other hand, like I've loved showing the the clip of of Molitva followed <laughs> by dashing dancing Washington by followed by Scooch to friends <laughs> because a as we argued on that show that's a perfect twelve minutes to encapsulate. This is why you watch Eurovision. Molitva is very good. Dancing Washington by is also very good in a very different way. And then there's Scooch to just show you how it can all come crashing down. I mean, I, I, I do appreciate it that it, it demonstrates that like Eurovision is a very big tent. And yes. um, there is room for all of these things on the yes. same stage. And that, I don't know, like Scooch has been coming up quite a bit in our podcast, just like very tangentially, like it, they will be coming up again in a future episode. I discovered in the most delightful way. <laughs> and, oh no, I'm, I'm very afraid, Mike. Oh, you should be. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but at the same time, like I, I think that is also an argument for my rule change proposal of, yeah, if you had some skin in the game, how, mm-hmm. how, like, what, what, how would this entry be presented differently? Um, or would it be presented differently? Like it, it's, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not my taste, but I'm, I'm glad that it is the taste of a lot of other people as we are finding out. Like, I, yes. I, I'm sorry yeah. to think that we are definitely in the minority on our, um, I, well, yeah, like, and like, so. is it, like, I don't think that ultimately, is it the worst of Eurovision? No, oh, but no. is it, no, no, you, the barrel is, you can go so much lower in the barrel. You can, you're, yeah. there is so much more room to scrape. Speaking about the UK, um, what can the UK do, like, be better now? Hmm. Um, pick a strategy and stick with it instead of not giving it the time it needs to see if it's actually working and just throwing it out the window. Because they've gone through so many strategies in the last few years. Like, you've had, like, you had, like, the years where they were just sort of picking some sort of older act that needed a, a career boost, and that didn't work because... It turns out nobody it was was clamoring for the sweet sweet sound of Engelbert Humperdinck. <laughs> um, so they they stopped doing that, and then they did one year where they had 
uh, Molly and Children of the Universe, where they were doing sort of like more of an indie thing, where they were doing a, a, a BBC red button would be the, the introduction value. And then that didn't quite work. So they just sort of chucked it out the window and found a new strategy. And I thought what they were doing by giving the reins over to BMG uh, and and letting them do some more of the the artist development, I thought that that was a very smart strategy. And like, I didn't I didn't think that this that my last breath was going to be earth shattering this year, but it could have done better than like the bottom four slots for them. And it was something where similar to like the Dutch, the Dutch took things internally. Uh, they started picking like slightly larger names. They started letting they started doing doing real artist development and finding up and coming acts and like they won they won with that and like even their follow-up entry uh Jean-Gu's song this year was very good mm-hmm. yeah so i think if the i i really hope that the uk just sort of keep let let's bmg do their thing and give that a few years to see if it works before just completely throwing it away so uh, yeah um so mike um if you were the head of the uh, delegation for you for the UK, um, what would you do differently? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I agree with Ben that like having BMG or or really any record label, like treating it as an opportunity to either uh, showcase some up and coming talent or um, the songwriter side of things. I I I, I think they're on onto something here. I'm not sure if this year, like had, had it gone through, I think it would have been middle of the table at best, but I think it would have been like great by modern UK standards. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it's a matter of kind of getting over itself <laughs> or mm-hmm. like, I don't think the UK has really defined what its relationship with Eurovision is. Like, is this something to be taken seriously? Is this something that could be an opportunity for a rising artist? Or is this just like a side project because somebody's just in between things right now? And I, I think if it, if, they can find an act that is going to treat it like the opportunity that it can be, I think they have the potential to do really well. Um, yeah, I. The UK has a lot of work to do. I, I I don't know where to where to actually begin with that. But I, I think I, I agree with Ben. Like, if they can stick with this their current strategy for another year or two uh, to, to see if it actually works, because uh, uh, yeah, I, I I think they could be onto something. So uh, both of you, um, if you were offered a head of delegation job, which country would you go for? Oh. I mean, I have mine instantly, but that's because I'm very predictable. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Iceland? Or <laughs> Yes, yes. I'm moving to Reykjavik immediately. Hello, Ruth. Uh, I work yeah. here now. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, part of me would want to say Ukraine, but I, I think also part of it is just like, well, no, they they know what they're doing. Um, I, I don't know what I would be able to add to like help or hurt uh, their chances. <laughs> yeah, I, like Mike, who is the bad news bears that you are coaching into victory? Right, yeah. Uh, uh, 
I would be tempted with San Marino, but um No, that's like a ten year job. Yeah, yeah, so there's definitely job security there. But uh I, w- I think either Portugal or Spain could be a lot of fun. Uh just just because they both kind of march to their own drum and they do interesting things. The success rate is a lot lower, but I I would take I would rather I would rather enjoy like interesting things than I don't know the kind of the same old same old that we get from Sweden. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's, it's like Sweden is a well-oiled machine, and I'm happy to let them keep running. Yeah, yeah. Like they they, they don't really need anybody's help at this point. But like, and I I don't even know if Portugal necessarily needs help. Uh, and like they're probably just gonna be like, no, nope, we're just gonna keep doing our own thing. It's like, no, that's cool. And if anything, like the weather is just gonna be nice. Also, so. the weather. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, we have the big five, and during the semifinals, they show like a thirty-second clip of their performance. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think showing a thirty-second performance or like the music video as they did in the past is hurting the big five? I mean, if, if anything, I feel like the big five otherwise, like in previous years, sort of came in with a disadvantage because if you're somebody who has been walk- watching the entire week you know most of these songs and you're only seeing the big five for the first time that night. So I think the idea of having some early exposure is nice. I think most of the people who are watching Eurovision on the grand final, like that is their first exposure to any of this. <laughs> um, like there, there are people, uh, like I think back to the 2018 contest when uh, Slovenia's entry had that blackout moment. And uh, I was at the semifinal uh, when that was, that had the same blackout moment and yeah we were all ta- like taken by surprise uh it was not a pleasant surprise but it was uh, a surprise and yeah uh but then watching uh, again on the final um just being like okay i know this moment is coming but you could see the rest of the audience was just like like there were people who were genuinely surprised and it was like oh they didn't watch the semifinals so mm-hmm. even like there are so many levels of fandom and interest in watching this that I don't, I think if there's anybody who is watching the semifinals and watching the uh, big five performances, they're already aware of the big five and probably already have their decisions made because I'm not sure how much the performance for like invested fans, like how much of the stage performance is going to sway a vote one way or the other. Like, it's like, mm, I don't know. I was sitting on the fence between Moldova and Romania, but Romania had really nice shoes in their costume. So I'm going to vote for them instead. Like, I, I don't think that kind of decision making is happening. I, th- yeah. I think most people are going in with like their songs already selected. Just, yeah. Well, I was all in the bag for Moldova, but then, but then they, they did a, Pyrotechnic every time Michael Ray sa- Michael Rice sang the word bigger, so non Team yeah. UK. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I yeah, like because again, yeah, Eurovision fandom is much like the contest itself is a big tent. You have you have people who just roll up the fi- on the, the night of the final and that is their that is their engagement with it. And then you have weirdos like me who have hard, fast opinions on the Melody Grand Prix every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and we we scare the normies uh, mm-hmm. in Europe. Uh, <laughs> I have discovered on on my my two times going to the contest, it's just like oh, like, yeah, that's <laughs> I am a nerd. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, I mean, I knew that already, know. but sorry. But apparently, yeah, just being like a nerd's nerd. Uh, what years did you go? 
I went to the 2017 and the 2018 contest. Oh, I went to the 2018. So we. Oh, nice. We might have crossed paths. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I was supposed to go for the first time in 2020, and I'm still in my apartment. So people are going on the language rule. Um, Do you think that the language rule should come back, or just keep it like whatever? Yeah, I. I don't know, like, like one thing I've liked, like, on one hand, I like that in recent years, particularly with uh, Salvador Sobral and Jamala both winning, that we've sort of had a natural return to more countries producing songs in their native languages that are in English. And I've enjoyed that a lot just because that's part of why I enjoy Eurovision is that, again, it is it is pop music trends getting mashed up with national music traditions and that also includes the home language on the other hand like i like that nations being able to sing in english also means that you have if like a slightly more level playing field because everybody understands english yeah i mean i i think spotify has kind of helped in a lot of ways where like there's just so much uh non-english music just regularly available so that it, it's not as um, unapproachable or inaccessible as, as it used to be. So um, yeah, I think I, and particularly with artists, like I'm, I'm thinking of like Sergey Lazarev where like half his catalog is in English, half of his catalog is in Russian. And um, yeah, like you're, I, I think part of what makes Eurovision so spe- special is that the messages of songs can still be conveyed, even if you don't fully understand what the singer is saying. Like, I mean, I think, uh, like, just thinking of, like, Hatari's entry last year, like, that was completely in Icelandic, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I was picking up what they were putting down, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm like, I, I don't know if it, it would be... I, I don't know if mandating that it be in like a country's language is really all that great. And, and it also just kind of depends on like how strict that rule is going to be. It's like, oh, well, does it have to be like an official language? Does it have to be a dominant language? Uh, if it's uh, um, what what what's it? oh constructed language like what? Oh Belgium yeah, because like every every times. like yeah. every seven moons, the Belgian entry is in a completely <laughs> constructed language. Yeah, and I mean, it's, and I I think it's interesting to try those different those different things, and and I think having a strict language rule um, creates an artificial constraint that doesn't necessarily generate creativity. I mean, and I mean that is one way one way to generate creativity is to create is to just have these artificial constraints. But I don't think this particular one achieves that goal so if a uh if a host country can do it do you want the live orchestra to come back i don't know like that that's one of like the the weird niches of the fan community because there are people who in in you know in 2020 are so like we need to bring back the orchestra this is the most important thing uh and on one hand it's it's cool on the other hand the way that music is made now is less orchestral and like I think that's just something that has changed as the nature of pop music has changed because if you look in the 50s 60s and 70s you still have uh, string sections in music a lot you still have 
And then over the 80s and 90s, if you watch the, the competition and things like Eurovision again, you're seeing it kind of struggle to account for things like synthesizers and completely digitally produced beats. Because mm-hmm. I, I like the, the entry I constantly go back to as an, as, uh, an illustration of this is Gina G's Ooh Ah Just a Little Bit, where like they have to represent the, like, the synths somehow. So they have these large beige computers on stage. And, I mean, you know, w- within a few years, those were gone. And, like, on one hand, it could be cool to have it back. On the other hand, again, I think music has has changed in a way where it's no longer necessary. I think it's interesting, though, that, like, with every every entry that goes to Eurovision, you can't help but think, well, there's going to be the children's choir version of this performed at whatever national selection this country is hosting the following year, or if they win Eurovision, that's going to be what opens the show or whatever. And uh, so, I mean, I think that kind of lends itself to being like, well, there's going to be an orchestral version of this eventually. And um, yeah, I mean, if, if there weren't 43 countries competing at Eurovision and you had like these massive semifinals, I think it would be interesting to have it be kind of like uh, Albania's process where there's like, one night is the like orchestral night. One night is the Eurovision performance night. This, this is the way that they ran the contest in 2018. Um, and yeah, if, if there was a way to like have the orchestral version semifinal and then the, um, I don't know, dubstep version <laughs> semifinal and then like the grand final could be like whatever version you want. Um, I think that would be interesting. I, I just don't see it being completely feasible. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I like the idea of the orchestra being present. But yeah, I'm just it, it just comes down to a feasibility issue. Well, yeah, and, and like with so many of the smaller nations, finding a venue where you can have space for the fans and space for a very large orchestra and all the artists and all the stuff gets gets harder because like you again, you look at you look at your Lithuanias, you look at your your Iceland's where their venues hold like thirteen thousand people tops. And then you're cutting part of that out so that you can put a big or- orchestra on stage as well. Yeah, I mean, just thinking of how small the venue was in Israel last year, like I, uh, like if they had to have an orchestra on top of that, there would have only been like 600 people that would have been able to actually attend Eurovision. Um, so going from the uh, orchestra to now the new rule, to uh, it's pre-recorded vocals, right? Mm-hmm. Pre-recorded vocals, although you cannot like sub in your main vocals, uh, so that your performer on stage doesn't have to do all the heavy lifting. So, do you think um, they're um, more like what's Norway's um, 2017? Um, oh yeah, uh, Jousts. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Um, like Joust more uh, EDM um, songs are gonna or artists are gonna try to uh, go into Eurovision next year. I don't know if that's necessarily if uh, that's necessarily going to be the case um, because there wasn't as much of a Neta influence in 2019 as I would have expected. Like Fuego ended up being like the main source of inspiration, uh, which was fine. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's such a particular skill set and such a particular storytelling mechanism that I, I don't, I, I think that 
there's just gonna be kind of a beigeness if everybody is going to try to do the uh like an edm style song like i i i, I don't see everybody going for it like i i I don't think Finland would necessarily go for like EDM. Mm-hmm. Then, oh yeah, because like they they did that a few years ago, didn't quite work for them. Yeah, but yeah, like I, I mean, I think that there are nations who, given given you know how how COVID has affected the world, are going to see this as a way to be able to present their song exactly as it was recorded, mm-hmm. uh, and that's fine. That is why that is why it's in here for a year. Is that we don't know what what Eurovision twenty twenty one is going to look like yet. How, you know, are we going to be in a venue where we're allowed to be on that stage? Is it going to be very reduced capacity? It's very clear they have a plan for that now because they didn't this year. But uh, I, I am more intrigued by artists and, and rising artists in various nations who can take a look at this and see this as something in their toolkit is how can, you know, mm-hmm. how can I use sampled vocals or something like this to do something that I wouldn't otherwise be able to do on that stage? Because again, like with with Joust, it was it wasn't ju- it wasn't just like straight up pre recorded vocals. It was snippets of vocals that were you know sort of stretched and distorted the way that music was doing that that year. Because uh, you had like Diplo and Justin Bieber doing "Where Are You Now," other things like that, where that was something that was happening in pop music. So it was cool to see it reflected in the contest. Uh, so like uh, I would be like if Dothy Freer comes back for Iceland. Uh, he would absolutely have a field day with getting to use pre-recorded vocals in an interesting way, I think. So again, like I think that there is plenty of space to, there are going to be plenty of nations who just use it as it is and use it as a way to be present and have their song reflected in its full capabilities without having you know, to send a ton of people to, to Rotterdam. And there are going to be other peop- other nations who will see this as, oh, this is a fun thing to play with. Yeah, yeah, it- that's it for all my questions. Um, do you ha- guys have anything else to add? Um, I mean, I guess, uh, can I can I do a quick plug? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, yeah, if you have not gotten sick of hearing Mike and I talk, uh, you can regularly find us over at the Year What Podcast. We are twice a month until things start back up again in January, uh, where that is uh, Euro What on all, all of your major podcast providers. Uh, at EuroWhat on the relevant social medias. Come find us. We, we are fun on uh, Eurovision again. We are, we are very active on the Twitters. Uh, Mike, do you have anything um, else to add? Uh, no, uh, thank, thank you for having us. This was yeah, a great thank you conversation. For so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for like, letting me interview you. Sure. <laughs> and yeah, I will. That, that's, uh, that's it. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool something to say or have ideas for the show tweet at song dance pod or email song at gmail.com let us know how we are doing you can subscribe to the song and dance podcast on the podcast app of your choice leave a review and please subscribe <laughs>